We are in part four of a series that we're calling Praying Like Jesus. And I hope today helps to grow our prayer life. That's what we've been talking about. And as we've said throughout this series, prayer is kind of a universal thing at some point. Probably everybody in this room has prayed. You've prayed some kind of prayer. And at the very beginning of this series a few weeks ago, we said that, first of all, prayer is not a button to be pushed. Because there's this idea that if we pray the right way, if we pray often enough, if we pray hard enough, if we somehow like unlock the combination, we'll be able to push the button and we'll be able to get the outcome that we're praying for. But we've said that prayer is not a button to be pushed. It's a relationship to be pursued. And perhaps the surprising thing about Christianity is that this thing isn't about us getting it right with God. Christianity isn't just about us pursuing God. It's about God pursuing us. And that's a game changer. So we took some time to just work through uh, what we know as the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And last time we talked about one of the most consistent frustrations with prayer, and it has to do with God not answering our prayers. And we talked about, uh, last week, we talked about when God is late answering our prayers. Today, I want to take it one step further (coughs) and talk about when God says no. When God's lateness becomes a no. What do you do when God says no? Some of you have lived through some situations where God has said no. Some of you are still trying to to recover from a situation where God said no. Some of you are in a situation right now where it seems like God is saying no. Some of you have situations going on where you're not sure if God is still saying no, if he's still saying wait, or if he has said no, and it's hard to know until you know. And when God says no, what do you do with that? Like your husband isn't coming back. Your marriage isn't getting better. The diagnosis is still the diagnosis. Your kids are still out there somewhere. You're as single as you've ever been. Financially, it's just not happening. You know, job, career, education plans, retirement dreams, whatever it is. And you might go from one end of the spectrum to the other from where it seems trivial, you know, kind of in the context of this discussion. But in the context of your life, it's kind of a big deal because it's something you really, really want. And it's something you've dreamed of. And it's something you you believed God wanted for you too. You're convinced of that. And now it looks like God has said no. What do you do with that? Because see, God is our loving Heavenly Father. And loving fathers sometimes say yes to their children. They say yes as often as they possibly can. And sometimes they say no, right, not right now. And sometimes they look at their children whom they love and they say no. And for some of you, in some circumstance maybe, there, there's, there's definitely come a point in, in your story where God said no. No, I'm not going to answer that prayer. What do we do about that? I'll tell you what some people do. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been here. Maybe, uh, maybe you can identify with this. Because some people just come to the conclusion then, well, if God says no, then maybe there's no God. He's not, he's not going to behave the way I think he should behave, then he's not there. Which is it's just kind of, uh, kind of foolish, really, when you think about it. And we could spend some time there this morning, but I, I don't I want to stay here too long. But it doesn't make sense logically. It's not intellectually honest. I mean, if my children got together when they were younger, maybe let's say on our way out of Toys R Us, remember when that was a thing? And they said, uh, you know, dad's not acting like we think a dad should act. Therefore, we have no dad. Therefore, he doesn't exist. That doesn't work. That's not intellectually honest. 
You know, well, it's kind of the same thing when someone says, since God isn't acting the way I think he should act, then there is no God. That, that's not logical. That's not intellectually honest. It's just an emotional response. So some people have responded this way, and depending on um, maybe what kind of church you grew up in, uh, maybe you've been brought up to believe that if you have enough faith, God has to say yes. And that if God has said no, it's because you don't have enough faith. Been a ton of erroneous teaching about that whole concept. Because when you believe that, you live with a lot of guilt because the thing you wanted to happen didn't happen and must be because you don't have enough faith. So the good news is that that way of approaching this thing, listen, isn't based on truth at all. Because faith isn't just, you know, some leash that we throw around God and drag him into our will. He isn't a vending machine or an ATM. You know, if you put in the right change and you put it in the right code, you know, you get what you want. Sometimes God says no. So what do you do with that? Sometimes we just get mad at him don't we? You ever been mad at God? Can we just get honest for a second? Maybe a little, little uh, audience participation. Are you still with me? How many of you have ever been a little bit angry at God? Just, wow, you're saying that in a church. You're brave people. Uh, no, right? I mean, let's just be honest. We're all in the same boat here. Because it's like, come on. I mean, God, I mean, if you can, what, what would it hurt you to do this one little thing for me? Just, I'm asking for one little miracle. As far as miracles goes, this isn't a big one. Come on, God. I mean, it seems that everywhere I look, it's working out for other people. Why can't it work out for me? That's just not fair. Here's the thing about being mad at God. There's some good news and some bad news about being mad at God. The good news is God can handle it. The bad news is you can't. Because when people get mad at God, they generally just get mad. So like they just get mad in general. And that anger spills over into other relationships. Like find me a person who's angry at God. And I'm going to show you somebody who's just got anger issues. It shows up in all kinds of relationships in all these other areas of life. And maybe the most devastating thing about being angry with God is not only do you not trust God, you don't trust anybody because you can't trust God. And if you can't trust God, who are you going to trust? So what do you do when God says no? Because it's not a faith problem. It's not a spiritual problem. It's not a prayer problem. What do you do? The answer I want to suggest is simple, but it's not easy. All right? It's, it's extremely difficult. So I want to throw this out there. When God says no, we simply take no for an answer. When God says no, we simply take no for an answer. And, and when we do that, he steps in and he gives us a gift that is unbelievable and unexplainable. So I want us to look at a passage of scripture where God said no to a godly faith-filled man. This wasn't a sin problem, wasn't a faith problem, wasn't a prayer problem. From the outside, it seemed like God had every reason to say yes, and yet he said no. So let me tell you a little bit about this story before we look at it. Man's name is Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. Maybe you know him as St. Paul. He wrote about half the New Testament. The Apostle Paul was a very influential, famous guy in his culture. He was a Jewish leader. He was also a, he became a follower of Jesus. And when he became a Christian, all of his Jewish friends didn't have, want to have anything to do with him. And all his Christian friends were suspicious and scared of him. But he followed the call of Jesus anyway, and God used him to take the gospel to brand new audiences. Just as things started to kind of go his way on this God-given mission, the Apostle Paul seemed to develop some sort of physical problem. 
We don't know exactly what it was. I think there's a reason for that. Um, some scholars uh, say he had some kind of an eye problem. Like maybe, maybe it was, let's just get graphic, maybe it was a sore that ran that you would look away from if you came face to face with Paul. Some think it was malaria. People have all kinds of theories about this physical ailment. But what we do know is this, is that the physical issue was so debilitating that no matter what the Apostle Paul accomplished, it assured that he would never become conceited. We're going to talk about this. No matter how God used him, no matter what great things God did through him, no matter how great his influence became, no matter what kind of miracles he was part of, no matter how many times he escaped imprisonment or death, no, how many, no matter how many brilliant things he wrote that became included in the New Testament, no matter what success he achieved, the, this physical thing was so debilitating that he would never become proud and arrogant. So you think about that in Paul's culture. That's how uh, bad Paul's physical condition was, whatever it was. So like any of us would do, the Apostle Paul went to God and he said... Uh, so, hey, God, I've got an idea. Uh, let's take care of this. Like, just, like, let's take care of it. And, like, by take care of it, I mean make it go away. Because don't you remember, God, you called me to do some serious things. I've put it all on the line. I've risked my life over and over again. I've done, you've called me to do some significant things, and I'm doing my best to do it. And this thing is in the way. There are several verses in Paul's writings that refer to this physical thing. And when you put them all together, here's what I think. This is just my opinion. I think this is the kind of thing where people listening and sitting in a crowd like this are thinking, I like sitting out in the crowd and listening to him teach. But I don't want to have a face-to-face conversation with him. I don't want to like go out for coffee. Like I don't want him in my house. He's got that thing going on. And you know what I'm talking about? Great guy. He's so smart. But he's got something going on there, and I don't know what it is. It looks painful, but I don't want to catch it. So let's be honest. It's distracting and kind of gross, and I certainly don't want to catch it. So Paul went to God, and he said, look, I'm one of your guys, remember? I'm one of your main guys right now, but couldn't you, so like, couldn't you do something about this? I'm not asking a lot. And God simply says, no, but I'm going to give you a gift that will allow you to carry on and do the thing that I've called you to do. So, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, um, I'd like you to turn with me. We're going to spend a few minutes on this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. These are the words of Paul. It says, Therefore, in order to keep me from, being, from becoming conceited... Yeah. I wonder how many times we've thought words like that. Well, this has happened to me, so I don't become too conceited. No. No, we think this has happened to me because I'm a victim. That's why. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So Paul refers to it as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. It was some kind of physical ailment. And he says it tormented him. In other places in the scripture, the same word is used to refer to someone who has been beaten, like beaten over and over. So this thing is just like beating him up. It's tormenting him. And then he says it's a messenger from Satan. Now, this kind of like... um, a weird theological thing, I think, and I don't really want to go there this morning either because it would take us way off track. But it's like somehow Satan and God got together on this one somehow. And I don't know how that works. Maybe it played out like Job in the Old Testament. Like maybe Satan said, well, let's, God, I got an idea. Let's let him have this thing. And God's like, yeah, he can handle that. Okay, let's let him have that. And then God used it. And the point is that Satan dropped this one on Paul and God stood back and let it happen. And Paul goes on, verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He pleaded. 
It wasn't just like, oh yeah, by the way, oh, that's right, before I forget, I got a prayer request, God. No, he pleaded with God. I don't, and I don't think these three times were like three different days, the first three days of the week, like he prayed about it. I think he probably prayed for months and then he dropped it. And he came back and he prayed for months and he dropped it. And he came back and he prayed for months again and he dropped it. It was like, I think it was like three periods of time where the Apostle Paul was pleading with God. Like, imagine this. Like, God, you used me to heal other people. This doesn't really give me much credibility. I'm going around healing people and everybody can see that I got my own physical thing going on. God, I'm so full of faith. Come on, I gave up everything to follow you. I'm writing half the New Testament for you as we speak. Would you please, in fact, this is going in here, all right? So would you please deliver me from this? Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, no. Not going to do that, no. But I'm going to give you something. Ready? Ready, Paul? Ready? I'm going to give you grace. (laughs) I don't know that he was too excited about that answer. But grace in this context is simply the ability to endure. So I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the ability to endure. I'm not going to take the thing from you, but I'm going to give you the ability to do what I've called you to do in spite of this thing that you so desperately want me to take away. So, so no, but here's the grace to take no for an answer. And then Paul's response, and I kind of don't think this is what he thought immediately. I mean, I, Paul's human. I, I think it probably took him some time to get to this point. But look at his response. This is what um, God wants us to, to for, for all of us here. Verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In other words, he realized that in his weakness, Christ's power was made greater and more obvious. That in the area where he was weak and people were going... Like, ew, gross, what's the deal with that? That God worked through him anyway. And people realized, oh, that must have been God. Because Paul, I mean, look, at he's suffering there. He couldn't have possibly pulled that off on his own. Isn't it amazing what Paul is able to do, the things that he's able to say and the stuff he's able to write and the churches he's been able to plant? I mean, especially since he's got that physical thing going on, that has to be the power of God working through him. And at some point, it's like it clicked for Paul, right? And he realized that, hey, this is what God wants to do. He, he said, no, so that I stay weak. And, and as my weakness becomes obvious, God's greatness and his power also become obvious in my life. And somehow, Paul got to the place in his life where he was able to say, that's okay with me. I'll be weak so he can be strong. I'll take no for an answer. Verse 10. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Now, please understand, these aren't my words. I'm not going to pretend to be there yet. This is the Apostle Paul talking. One of those passages that I struggle with because what God seems to like to do is exploit our weaknesses. He sees a weakness and and we're like, God, make me strong. And he's like, no, let's keep him weak. Well, God, why don't you heal me? Why don't you fix my marriage? Why don't you fix my finances? Why don't you fix my job? Why don't you fix my kids? Why don't you fix my parents? Why don't you do something? And I think God's going, because that'll mess up everything. 
That'll mess up everything we're trying to do here. I like you in your weakness because when you're weak, I get to show up and I get to be strong and you get to lean into my strength. I want to give you four statements to kind of pull all this together. And then maybe we can answer the question, what are we supposed to do when God says no? The first one in this is this, and I hope, I hope this is encouraging. We have permission to ask God to change our circumstances. All right? See, the Apostle Paul wasn't hung up on, oh, I wonder if I should. Should I ask him? I don't know if I should ask him. Should I bring this up? I don't know if I should even. If I, because like, what if I'm, uh, if I'm praying something that's not God's will? What if I just, I just want to pray for God's will? So God, like, show me if it's your will. He just said, no, God, change this. Like, this stinks. This has got to go. Do something about this. Great news is, is that as you face a wall that magnifies your weakness, you have permission to plead with God to change your circumstances. We don't have to be so holy and spiritual that we're like, oh God, whatever you want, you know, your will, bring it on. No, when you're in pain, you ask God to stop the pain. I mean, when the relationship's falling apart, you ask God to help you put it back together. When the job isn't working out, you have permission to ask God to change your circumstances. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Second thing, though, is this. Just as we have permission to ask God to change our circumstances, our Heavenly Father reserves the right to say no. And the fact that he says no is not necessarily a reflection of your faith, right? Or a reflection of sin in your life. In fact, I kind of think sometimes it takes more faith to accept no for an answer. Doesn't it sometimes take more faith to take no for an answer than yes? Like our Heavenly Father, who is a loving Heavenly Father, reserves the right to say no. The thing is this. This is number three. God loves to use our weakness to demonstrate His strength. He desires to showcase His strength on the stage of our weakness. This is where God gets to really show his strength. It's in our weakness that God gets to show how strong he is, and everybody then realizes, oh, wow, that must be God. So think about your own story. Isn't it true that in the, those moments, in the valley, in the circumstance where God really showed up, where he showed up in a way that you just went, wow, that must have been God. Isn't it true that that was, that was in a moment of weakness, not in a moment of spiritual strength? Like, how effective would it be for me to sit down, interview some people, show you a video of someone who's got lots of money, perfect marriage, wonderful children, everyone's in perfect health, it's just sunshine and roses, and they're like, I'm just trusting God for the strength to get through every day. I mean, how impactful is that? You're like, I should be so lucky. Because it's in our weakness that God shows us his strength. And we are here for his glory, to reflect his glory. Fourth thing, and this is great news is that God promises grace when he says no. And you're like, it's like the consolation prize. No, 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 I think we need to change our mindset. Hebrews 4, the writer says that just as it was true of the Apostle Paul, that he had all the grace that he needed, that God promises to give to us grace and mercy in our time of need. So when God says no, and we take no for an answer, that there's grace for our time of need. And do you know how God delivers his grace to us? At least a couple ways. Sometimes he delivers his grace through people. 
It's why we've got to be connected in significant relationships that look like biblical community. Because when we're weak, people come around us and bring strength to us. When we, and this is the thing, like we want to be a church that thinks like a body, like we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are the means by which God delivers his grace in difficult times to other people. That's how God works. We are often the means by which God delivers his grace to others in difficult times. And we want to be well positioned for that when the opportunities come. Sometimes he delivers his grace through perspective. Like sometimes we find the strength and the motivation to get through whatever it is that we think we can't get through by sitting back and bringing our situation into context with eternity. And we gain the perspective that there is a God who is our loving Heavenly Father and he loves us and he comes pursuing us. And we place our situation in the context of eternity That kind of perspective is energizing and it's clarifying and it's motivating. And when we push back a little, we get some perspective. And sometimes we need the voices of other people in our life to help us gain that perspective. Sometimes we're so deep in our situation and in our circumstances that we lose all of our context, like our perspective just isn't accurate at all. And we need the voices of others to bring clarity that we need. Sometimes God delivers his grace through unexplainable energy. It's the only way I knew how to put this. You know those days when you're, you're buried in your circumstances and you're like, I just can't do it. I just can't even put one foot in front of the other today. It's just, I, can't, I can't walk through this one more day. And it's like God intervenes and gives you physical and emotional energy to just keep going. One more day. One more day. One more day. And you look back and you're like, how did I do that? How did I get through that season of my life? You're like, I don't know. It's just the grace of God. And God seems to give me enough grace, enough energy for the day. Here's the thing. There is a catch. I don't think we can resist the will of God and receive the grace of God at the same time. I just don't see any examples in Scripture where someone continued to reject the will of God and resisted the will of God and at the same time lived in the fullness of the grace of God. To resist His will, that is to resist His answer, okay? To reject His grace, is like to resist His no, is to reject His grace and all that His grace has to offer. And for the person who's all tied up in knots arguing with God and pleading with God and refusing to take no for an answer, the problem with that is that as long as you're in an argumentative like mode with God, you're not open then to being a recipient of God's grace in your life. So you're left to struggle on your own, which comes kind of to an end quickly depending on your circumstances. Because here's the thing, the grace of God is available not to those who are shaking their fist at God, but to those who bow their knee. And the grace of God is available not to those who try to impose their will on God, but to those who are willing to say, not my will, but your will be done in my life. And when we pray those words sincerely, we open the doors to God's grace in our life. Just a little quiz here. Who said, not my will, but yours be done? Who said that? Jesus did. And where did he pray those words, not my will, but yours be done? In the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And he knew that he was about to be arrested, that he was about to be convicted. He knew that he was about to be beaten within an inch of his life. He knew that he was about to face death on the cross. And he prayed, Jesus, 
prayed, Father, I don't really want to do this. I'd like to not have to go through with this. I know, that, I know this was the plan. It's why I'm here. But is there some other way? Would you let me out of it? Oh, but before you answer, Father, I just want you to know, not my will, but your will be done. And God said to his own son, no. There's no other way. Jesus didn't even get a wait. It was just no. I think our Savior is the supreme example that when we put our hands out and surrender and quit shaking our fists and instead say, you know, whatever you decide, God, I will accept as an answer from you, then we become open to the gift of grace, grace with strength to carry on in the face of overwhelming circumstances and unanswered prayers. So, don't answer this out loud, but what has God said no to in your life? Just think on that for a second. Maybe it's in the distant past. Maybe it's in the here and now. Maybe you're still waiting for an answer. You're not sure if it's a no. It's definitely a wait, but it might be a no. So what's the issue? Like you're still arguing with him? Have you decided maybe he's not there? Maybe you've gotten the answer. You haven't acted on it yet. Maybe you don't like the answer because it means you have to do something different. Are you trying to like faith your way into the right answer, the answer you want? You're trying to use your good behavior and your church attendance to get God to do what you want, like still trying to figure out the combination, like prayer, faith, church, prayer, faith, prayer, church, church, faith. You know, what's the code? You know, if we're doing that, it's just so frustrating. And you're probably living with guilt that you just don't need to be carrying around. So I think the answer is simple. We just need to learn to say no or learn to take no as an answer. You're like, well, I don't know. Did God cause this thing in my life? Is this part of his master plan? I don't know. Probably not. Again, that's another whole discussion. We got like three sermons in one today. That's another whole discussion. That's, that's not even the point. The point is you have an obstacle and God's not moving it. Will you accept no for an answer? Because when, when we learn to accept no for an answer, we open the doors to his grace in our life. There's another verse in the same letter from Paul to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. A few chapters earlier, chapter 4, says this. It says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's like God is saying, I've designed it this way. You're, jars of, you're, you're a jar of clay. You're fragile. You fall over, you break easily. One day you're going to be reduced to like shards and you're just going to be dust. And I like to manifest my power from the context of jars of clay. But here's the thing. We don't like to be jars of clay, do we? Like we want to be like shiny, stainless steel, bulletproof where everything life throws at us just bounces off and you can stand on our own. And God's like, no, 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 no. I want weak, fragile, vulnerable, imperfect vessels because when the vessel is weak, When the vessel is weak, the grace is great. And people stand back and they're like, wow, what a God. What an amazing God. So sometimes God says no. 
And if you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're like, this is not what I agreed to this morning, you know, I get it, I get it. You're thinking you'd finally come because your friend or family member has been begging you for months or years and you come and you suffer through some boring songs, you suffer through a few minutes of some guy talking about some irrelevant stuff and you get out of here unscathed and get to lunch. Listen, hey, if you're not a Christian, if you've got more questions than you have answers, I just want to say one thing to you. I would dare to guess that maybe one of your big questions and maybe one of the reasons you aren't a Christian is because you've said things like, well, if there's a good God, why is there all this evil in the world? Why is there all this stuff in the world? And why doesn't God do something about that? And why does God always seem to say no when we talk to him about that? And guessing maybe if you're, you're still hesitant and you're on the fence, maybe that's the kind of thing that's holding you back. We've all struggled with that on some level. Just want you to know. And it's a pretty powerful argument. Because if you've ever looked at someone's circumstances and wondered, like, how in the world can they continue to believe in God? Like, I don't even want to, to believe and follow a God that lets things like that, you know, happen to, to, to good people, to people who love him. Like, that doesn't make sense. I mean, how can someone face circumstances with such, like that, with, with such peace and such hope? That's the point. In their weakness, God has shown his strength. In their weakness, God has shown the reach of his grace. In their weakness, God has shown the depth of his grace to come to the point that we say, not my will, but your will be done. Even when you say no. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, this is a whole lot easier to talk about than it is to live out. As we think about our circumstances, We think about that thing that you haven't acted on yet. You haven't acted on the way we wanted you to act on it. We come to you this morning asking that you would just break our wills. Bring us to the point where we can say with Jesus, where we can say with the Apostle Paul, not my will, but your will be done in my life. I accept no for an answer. And then flood us with your grace. To the point that people look at us and they're like, this doesn't even make any sense. There's no other explanation than this is the grace of God. Bring us to that place of surrender. And above all else, just maximize your glory through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to play a song for you. This is a song we've been singing here for for years, but I thought this morning I would just uh, play it and uh, have us listen. Pay special attention to the lyrics. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you and encourage you through these words. Listen. Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess My hands are weary, I need your rest Mighty warrior, king of the fight No matter what I face, you're by my side
tomorrow